We're studying the book of Acts, and we're in the 21st chapter. All of us have endured the pain of being misunderstood. Fred and Mabel have been married for a long time, and their marriage was just horrible. They fussed all the time. They had little to say uh, kindly to each other. It was just one tumultuous day after another. And now they're old, getting old and they're sitting out on the front porch in the cool of the evening, a little farm home. Mabel's hearing is diminished. She can hardly hear. And Fred is sitting there and somehow just this wave of, uh, of gratitude and love comes over him and he looks over at Mabel and he says, Mabel, I appreciate you. And he, she said, what did you say? And he said, I appreciate you. And she said, I can't stand you either, Fred. Uh, I think all of us uh, have been misunderstood. Misunderstanding is a common problem. And when that um, happens to us, it touches us deeply. When we are misunderstood in what we say and in what we do. And if you're a misunderstood person... Uh, it seems like kind of a catch-22. The harder you try to make the facts known, the more it seems that you're admitting your guilt. But to um, say nothing uh, is to admit that guilt. I guess it's a kind of a catch-22. Someone said, if you're more than just a kind of a vanilla shadow, you're going to be misunderstood, for misunderstanding is the tragedy of, uh, of fame. Wouldn't you hate to be the president? A young man by the name of David, when he was just a boy, under the power of God, slew a giant and became a national hero overnight. And Saul made him the leader of the army of Israel, and he took that army out and did great battles and came back victorious. And as he would return, the people would shout, Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul became jealous of the young boy Saul and uh, jealous of the young boy David. And for 16 years he made life a living hell for, for David. Everything he did was misunderstood. Sometimes we're misunderstood by the things we say. There is a slip of the tongue and that's misquoted and misunderstood. All of us have known the pain of being misunderstood. Have you ever played the little game at a party where you pass the word along, you say a word or say a phrase of words to somebody next to you and let it go down the line? And when it got to the end of the line, let that person at the end say what they thought the person next to them said, and it's always different. We're all we've all experienced the pain, misunderstanding. Example, the Apostle Paul. Here was a man, a Jew, who went to the Gentiles... And when you start running with the Gentiles, you leave yourself open for misunderstanding. He became the missionary to the Gentiles. A door was open to them. But back in Jerusalem, there were these Jews who misunderstood what he did. And they misunderstood what he said. And so with the example of the Apostle Paul, we're going to see the pain of misunderstanding. In the 21st chapter of the book of Acts, beginning 17, just a simple uh, message verse by verse, and you'll follow in the outline. A pleasant reunion. He's coming back. 
from what would be the last missionary journey, the third. He comes back to Jerusalem, verse 17. And when, he, and when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. There was this happy reception in the city of Jerusalem, in the church. And on the next day, they came into this room for the report of the trip. Verse 18 says, And now the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. I want you to see the picture. They're in this kind of a conference room, and James, who is at least the chairman of the board of elders, perhaps the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, at least he's the man presiding, and he's presiding over this meeting over which uh, these elders are observing. And the Apostle Paul is giving a report of the trip. There has been this reception, this excitement, as Paul has come back to tell about the ministry to the Gentiles. And now this official report to the elders. Notice the reaction in verse uh, 19. And after he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through His ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God, and they said to Him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And such a strange reaction because... He's not saying anything about the Jews. He's reporting on the ministry to the Gentiles. And their response is, well, what about all these Jews who have responded to the law, zealous of the law, who have responded uh, to, to God as the, as the supreme one? Um, a part of misunderstanding always comes because of the prejudice by which people hear. Sometimes what we say has to be filtered through the prejudicial mind of someone else. There is this mindset of the Jews. So what they're saying about the Gentiles is filtered through their prejudice about the Jews. Psychologists call that selective hearing. There's some things you say that people really do not hear because they've already determined what they want to hear. And sometimes we are misunderstood because what we say has to travel through this kind of a, a filter of prejudice that's there because we, we select what we want to hear. That's what's happening to the Apostle Paul. Now look at verses 21, this verbal misinterpretation, this wrong report. We're going to see the scenario of being misunderstood. And they have been told about you. There is... There, there is, and they have been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake me. And they have been told about you. First, um, uh, first criterion of being misunderstood is that um, people are telling these things about you. It's secondhand information. They they are telling this about you. That some people just enjoy doing that. Uh, let me say something at this point, kind of parenthetical, about uh, the uh, inerrancy question. You know, there's some people um, who are quick to label as liberals and people who do not believe the Bible, others that they have never heard, never even met. They've just heard about them. And, and not long ago, I, I saw, I heard a man attacked the... Uh, uh, one of the finest, godliest men I've ever met. 
one of the leaders of one of the Southern Baptist institutions, that this man does not believe uh, in the uh, inerrancy of the Scripture. And he quoted this book that this uh, 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 man had written. And, and the person who was leveling the attack had never even read the book. He had just read something about the book. Uh, not too long ago, I was standing in, a, in a, um, a bookstore, and I was reading it, and there's two, two ladies were standing up there talking. One of them was saying, you know, that Southern, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary is the most liberal place. They don't even, they don't even uh, believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And I went up and I asked that lady, I said, Did you, have you ever attended Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary? I said, when were you a student there? And she said, well, I, I never attended Southwestern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. I said, well, where did you get your information that Southwestern doesn't teach that the Bible is literally the Word of God? And she said, well, I just heard they taught that. Um, folks, don't fall into that trap. Um, some people are so misunderstood because of what others have said about them. And we get on that bandwagon and just take off with it. And the Apostle Paul could have stood up and said, you know, with a little bit of um, anger in his voice, hey, I'm the guy. When, when Timothy, um, this uh, son of a Gentile uh, father and, and a Jewish mother, when he wanted to go with us on this missionary journey, I'm the man who said, Timothy, you must go and be circumcised because of the Jews that were there. And I'm the man who stood for the law. Um, but he didn't. Not a word of resentment, not a word of bitterness in his voice, in his response. Look at verse 22. Um, let me catch what they were saying about them. It said in verse 21, that you're teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. Now, is there a plan? What, what can we do about this, uh, t uh, Paul? These people are making these charges against you. What do we do about it? What's the plan? Look at verse 22. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come to Jerusalem... Therefore, do this that we may tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses in order that they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to the things which have been told about you. You pay their expenses, go through this custom of purification, shave your heads but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrifices to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men. Not a, you talk about a sweet spirit. Now here is a man who had all these accusations brought against him, all these false charges... And he owed no man anything. Well, this is what he did. In a sweet spirit, he said, Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. Now, I don't know what you understand, you know about the Apostle Paul, but you don't need to, you don't need to develop your concept, your opinion of this man without these verses right there. 
What a spirit. I want to show you a verse of Scripture. With your New Testament, would you flip uh, into 1 Corinthians chapter 9? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to show you something about compromise and about tact and about a gracious spirit. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. This is the Apostle Paul. I am I'm free to all men, but I made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew. I went and shaved my head, went through the purification. I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. I did all of these things, he said, in order to win some. I, I was willing to compromise. I was willing to do what was necessary to win people. I think sometimes we look kind of with a critical eye at compromise, but there are times and there are places where some tact and some compromise fits right in to the Christian walk. I heard this little story. I don't know if it's true or not. Yeah, it's true whether it happened or not. This, uh, this fellow, this man, his wife, and she had this poodle. She has loved this poodle. And he had no tact whatsoever. I mean, he was just blunt. He just came right out and just said what he thought. And she went on this trip to Europe and left him in charge of the poodle. And she got to New York City on the first leg of her trip, and she was worried about her poodle, and she called up her husband, and he answered the phone, and she said, well, how are things going? And he said, the dog is dead. And she said, uh, um, you, you're so blunt, you know, you could at least, you know, broken the news with a little tact, you know. You could have, you could have said, honey, the dog is on the roof. And when I got to London, I'd call back home and you could have said, the dog slipped from the roof and I carried the dog to the vet. And when I got to Rome and called back, you could have said, honey, the dog slipped away and went to the great dog pound in the sky or something like that. And say, so you didn't have to be so blunt. By the way, honey, how is mother? And he said, she's on the roof. There is a, <laughs> there, there is a place... Where, where some tact and some compromise fits right in. Now somehow, I, you know, I, I've read and I, I had the idea that this, this apostle was one of these guys that just plowed right on regardless of what people thought or what people said. Somehow I feel convinced tonight that here was a man who had the feelings of others and who was so sensitive to the, to the feelings and the hurts of others that he put those before himself. And even then, sometimes it doesn't work. You know how hard you, you uh, try not to be uh, misunderstood and look what happens. Verse 27, there is this physical mistreatment. Uh, follow with me now. Verse 27. And when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, notice it wasn't the Jews from Jerusalem, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the multitude and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, 
come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people. That's a lie. That's an exaggeration. Second step in being misunderstood, people exaggerate. He wasn't preaching to all men everywhere. Notice verse 29. After exaggeration, there's suspicion. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now, can't you just see these Jews in conversation? There's Paul with that Gentile. I bet you a dollar he's going to take him into the temple and defile it. And the next time the conversation uh, uh, is, is handed down, someone says, there's Paul and Trophimus, the Ephesian, coming out of the temple. I heard he took the temple, he took the Ephesian, the, the Gentile, in the temple and defiled it. And that word began to spread. They supposed... Um, Sometimes we are misunderstood because people have all of these ideas, these um, opinions, they suppose. Now look at verse 30. There's this overreaction. And all the city was aroused and the people rushed together. And taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. And while they were seeking to kill him, there's the power of the tongue. Here is the Apostle Paul, fresh from a journey in which the whole Gentile world we discovered a couple of weeks ago had heard the gospel, and he's coming back fresh from this tremendous mission, uh, missionary enterprise. And he comes into Jerusalem, and because of what people supposed about him and what people said about him, they haul him off to kill him. It's a mind-boggling, really, when you, when you really get to thinking about it. Now look at verse 31. When while they were seeking to kill him, a report came to the commander of the Roman cohort. That's a Roman soldier in charge of about a thousand men that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And at once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he'd done. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another, and when he'd and when he could not find out the facts, I like that Gentile, that Roman, at least he sought to find out the facts. Um, a lot of what we say is based on that which is really not the facts. He sought to find out the facts. At least the Roman did. Somebody starts giving you some uh, information about somebody, you know, they start, uh, hey, I want to tell you about something. So would you say this? Can I quote you as the source of that information? I went not long, not long ago and this guy was saying, they said this, and they said that, and the deacon said this, and the deacon said that. I said, hey, can I do this? Can I meet with the deacons and quote you as the source of that information? He said, oh, no, no. Um, I just heard that from someone else. Can you, will you let me quote you as the source? When he couldn't find out the facts on account of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks 
And when he got to the stairs, it so happened that he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. He got him, they got him on their shoulders, kind of like carrying the coach off the field. Uh, and they took him out to the barracks. For the multitude of the people kept following behind, shouting, Away with him! And as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I say something to you? And the commander said, Do you know Greek? And then the commander finished and said, Then you're not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. Where'd that verse come from? I mean, that, that sounds like it belongs over in 2 Samuel somewhere. I guess, you know, you're not this Egyptian that led this revolt. The Apostle Paul must have been thinking, no, I'm not the jolly green giant either. What are you talking about? You see, um, in the mind of the, of the Roman, there were all of these ideas about who this man was. Josephus tells that in that time, there was a group um, who carried daggers under their cloaks and they would um, get next to a political leader and they would assassinate them with their daggers under their cloaks, a group of Egyptians, assassins. And the word was spread around the Romans that this man, Paul, was one of these assassins. That's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of reputation he had. Um, Sometimes, uh, isn't it amazing the assumptions people have of what you, you do, who you are? Isn't that amazing? Does it sometimes just break your heart when you, uh, when you talk to people and they have all of these assumptions about who you are and what you're doing and just so far out in the left field? You can't imagine where they got them. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, would you let me speak to this group? If that had been you or if that had been me, I said, would you get me out of this town? These guys are crazy. These folks are, these folks are nuts. Get me out of here as quick as you can. Not the Apostle Paul. He said, would you let me speak to this group of people? You know how he could do that? His eyes were not on the accusers. His eyes were on the Lord. You see, when your eyes are on the accusers, there are two things you want to do. You either want to get away or you want to get even. And if people misunderstand you, what you say, if people misunderstand what you do, if you keep your eyes on the accusers, you'll want to get even or you'll want to get away. If you keep your eyes on the Lord, what you want to do is stand and do what he did in chapter 22. That is to declare to them how God in marvelous grace has come into your life to bring a change. Now I want to give you three applications and that's it. Number one, the reality of misunderstanding is inevitable. The reality of misunderstanding is inevitable. If you are more than a vanilla shadow, you're going to be misunderstood sometime in your life. 
If you do more than just going around saying no when others say no and yes when others say yes, if you do more than that, you're going to be misunderstood sometime. Second application. The reason for misunderstandings is unpredictable. The reason for misunderstandings is unpredictable. Sometimes it's because of a snap judgment on the part of the one who misunderstands you. Sometimes it's because of a track record you have. I mean, they bring up the past. That's the way I did it 10 years ago before I met the Lord. I suppose he's the same old guy, you know. Third application. The reaction to misunderstandings is questionable. It depends on the one who's in control. The reaction to misunderstandings is questionable. It depends on whom is in control. Now, if God is in control of your life, if the Holy Spirit is in control of your life, your reaction to misunderstanding is going to be just exactly the apostles. They found her body in a harbor in New York City right out of Manhattan. They dredged her right up off the bottom and they tried to identify her. She had no papers on her, no identification papers on her at all. Just a body, just a stranger. And a little piece of paper, just a note in her pocket had two words on it. They said. Now there are two kinds of people in this auditorium tonight. There are those who make it a practice to misinterpret and to misunderstand. And there are those who have been misunderstood. they said. Would you pray with me? Father, we remember another man one time who was totally misunderstood. When he did good, they called him a devil. When he ministered, they thought he had ulterior motives. When he talked about a kingdom, they thought he wanted to be a king. When he talked about bread, they thought he was lying. And we know there was only one man who sought to get the facts about him. And when he found out the facts, he didn't have enough courage to, to follow through. This man went all the way up to a hill and was crucified. And the spirit of one being misunderstood, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, there's some of us who have down deep inside some real hurt and some real resentment, some anger, because We've tried to do good. We've tried to do right. We've been misunderstood, misquoted. We've been rejected. 
The problem, Father, is not that we've been misunderstood, but that we reacted to that wrong way. I pray you'll give us tonight the spirit of Paul, the spirit of Christ. And if there are those of us, Father, who are so quick to suppose, so quick to assume, so quick to judge, to be critical, that you'll bring deep hurt and conviction until we have repented. We pray for this in Jesus' name, for his sake. Now there are three invitations that we offer in our church We offer an invitation for you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Jesus died on the cross that He might pay the penalty for your sin and thus paying that penalty bought you a place in eternal heaven which He offers to you as a free gift. You have to come in response to His grace to receive that gift by faith. Trusting Christ, repenting of sin, trusting Him. The second invitation is for you to come and join the church. Place your life alongside those of us who are trying to do God's will in this place. The third invitation is for you to come just to rededicate your life, to say, I want to come back to walk with the Lord as I once did, as I promised to do. These are the invitations we invite you to respond to. And the first, the easiest thing, easiest time to do it is on the first word of stand and sing. You come. Larry will lead us.